three of you shook your head and the rest of you ain't there going to take a chance? Anybody bear any fruit this week? Remember what we talked about last week? We put those little seeds in the ground. And ain't no way to know what they are if they don't bear fruit. Same thing with us. Nobody can know. Oh, we can talk. We can tell them. I can tell them I'm a rose, but if I don't have no roses, I could be a thorn bush underneath. They don't know. Well, roses got thorns, don't they? That wasn't a very good illustration. Well, just because it's got thorns don't mean it's got to have roses, right? My challenge, remember my challenge was uh, we got to, hey, Peter Hutchins, I thought you weren't going to be here. It's good to see you, bro. I thought, I thought you were supposed to be kind of saving up, getting ready for some stuff coming this week. You got it covered. Praying for you, man. It's good to see you. Um, sorry, y'all. Time out there. I remember my challenge was to don't let that plant outgrow you. Anybody remember that? You got, you got that picture I sent you this morning? That was this morning. Him little jokers is about three inches tall. So however much I did last week, I'm going to have to do some more because they're getting on with it. If I'm going to outgrow that plant, I got some work to do. Amen. If you want to turn in your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in the book of John chapter 14 just for a minute, and then we're going to go to some other places. John chapter 14, while you're turning, I'll share a couple of things with you that Brother Larry Neff has posted. One of them he posted about three weeks ago, and one of them I've already shared with a few of you, and I may have already shared it with the church. I really don't remember. I, I'm really, uh, well, it's not like I've got that, that forgetting stuff. What is that they call it? Did, did I tell y'all what Larry Neff said the difference was between genius and stupidity? Did I tell y'all that? Good. This is a good time to share what Larry Neff said. Anybody know what it is? Anybody know what? Now, if I've already told you, don't cheat. You know what the difference is between genius and stupidity? Genius has its limitations. In today's world, I'm fully convinced that I don't have to fill in the rest of that. Stupidity seems to have no limitations. He put one in there this week. He said, everybody that we meet, everybody that we meet is for a reason. Some people that I meet, I am destined to change their lives. And the other people that I meet are destined to change mine. God's good, isn't he? John chapter 14, verse number 1. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Go ahead and shout if you want to. One of them's got my name on it. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. Receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. I, I want to bring a message this morning. The title of the message is actually a question. The question is, is today the day? Father, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you, God, that we can still have faith and that we can still believe. Everything hadn't gone our way. Every prayer hadn't been answered exactly the way we asked for it to be done. Some things rose against us. Some days were better than others. But every day you were still good. God, thank you for giving us the faith to still believe, even in times when it looks like everything's falling apart. 
Thank you for the day that your word tells us that you're coming back to call home the church, that you're going to take us out of this mess. Thank you for the day that tells me that we will always be with you forever and ever. We'll be with Jesus. We'll be with the Father. We'll be in your glory. We'll be there as one. Thank you, God, for the promise of the salvation and all that you give us in your word. But, oh, God, I ask you to meet with us today, Father, and teach us, strengthen us, build us up, show us something Something powerful from your word. Something that would change something inside of us. That we might be a better servant. We have a job to do here on this earth, God. You said you've called us to do things. You've commissioned us to do things. You've told us to preach the word. God, I pray you'd move among your people, God. I pray you'd move through the airways. I pray you'd speak to hearts, God. Prepare us and help us to be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So... Right off the bat, if you ask the question, is today the day, then Christians, we automatically think that's the day we're talking about. I mean, if you just ask the question, anybody asks, is today the day, automatically my mind's going to go to the day that Jesus Christ is going to step out on the cloud and he's going to call home the church. And no doubt, that is a day to look forward to. Somebody agree? But that's not the day that I'm talking about. Even in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we use it a lot at funerals. You hear it preached because it is very comforting. Chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Shouting time. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. There is a day when Jesus Christ is going to step out onto the portals of glory at the commission of the Father to go get the children, and he's going to call home the church. There's a lot of talk going on today about when that day is going to be. Now, a lot of people refer to the end of time. That's not what this is. When Jesus comes and gets the church, it's not the end of time. There's at least a thousand and seven years plus a season. We know he comes and gets the church, seven year tribulation period. And then you come and you got the thousand year millennial reign where the beast and the false prophet are cast alive into the lake of fire. And then we know that Satan is bound and cast into the bottomless pit for the thousand years. And after that, he's loosed the season. So that's not the end of time when Jesus comes. It's the beginning of a lot of things. But, but there's people who today, and I'll just go ahead and tell you, I'll go ahead and step out, and somebody ain't going to like it, and it ain't going to matter to me. But, but I'm going to go ahead and call some people false prophets because that's what they are to me. I don't care who they are. I don't care how many doctors, THDs are behind their name. I don't care how many people follow them on Facebook. I don't care how many viewers they have on YouTube. If they predict today that Jesus Christ is coming, they're a false prophet to me. Period. I don't care how many years they've been preaching. I don't care how many years they've been talking, how many years they claim to be prophesying. If they claim any day, if they try to give me a date when Jesus Christ is going to come, I'm not listening to nothing they got to say. I'm through with them. I'm done with them. Why? Why would I spend time? So I call them false prophets because I can't know what Jesus has already told me I can't know. 
Mark chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So I know that his word is settled forever. I know it's never going to pass away. I know it's never going to change. Men are going to change it. The devil's going to change it. The devil's going to dilute it. The devil's going to water it down. The devil's going to try to make it a day so when after the rapture, when he comes down and he stands on the Mount of Olives, he can hold up a book. Remember, he wants to mimic God. If he wants to mimic God, he's got to have a book. And he's going to hold up some type of false doctrine, and he's going to say, I am God. The Bible says that people left here are going to believe the lie. So, so men can change it, but God's Word is never going to change. It's settled forever. Verse 32, but of the day and the hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray. Boy, there's an assignment right there. Don't, don't worry about trying to figure out the day. Don't worry about what's going on. Take ye heed, watch, and pray. For ye know not when the time is. Why would I waste my time listening to anyone who tells me they know what the time is? More importantly, why would I bog myself down trying to study and trying to figure out, is today the day, trying to figure out what is the day that God is going to come back? I mean, if the Bible doesn't tell me, number one, if the Bible doesn't tell me something, then I can't know it. You can say what you want, you can call that ignorant, foolish, but I'm telling you, if the Bible doesn't tell it to me, then I can't know it. Anything that I fill in the blanks is speculation on my part. But if the Bible tells me clearly that I don't know it and I won't know it, then I ain't going to figure it out. So why would I try to listen to people that, that tell me things, that there are, there are things that's just not for us to know, amen? Even, even when John saw the seals, remember when God at the seventh seal told me, he said, bind up the things which y'all see us and write them not? Anybody know what's behind them? No, you don't. Because God had it bind up. They're just things that God does not reveal the, the full details of. Here's what I do know about Jesus Christ coming to call home the church, to call home the bride of Christ. Number one, I know that I do not know the day. Amen. Number two, I know that I do not know the hour. Amen. Number three, I know that I do know the certainty of it. Amen. It's written. I may not know the when, but I know the is. Jesus says, I'm coming to get you, and that cannot be changed. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Jesus said, watch therefore. Watch therefore. For you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Chapter 25, verse 13, there in Matthew, Jesus said, watch therefore. Watch means get up and be looking for it. Be anxious, be ready, be, be uh, expecting with great expectation. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Why would I get bogged down? Possibly even frustrated in trying to learn something and study something that, that I know I can't learn when God has given me so many things 
that I can learn. So many things that, that he will teach me. So many things that the Holy Spirit will come in and explain to me. So many things that will strengthen me as a Christian. So many things that will empower me in the Holy Spirit of God to go out and be a witness in a lost world. So many things that can help me walk through some stormy seas. So many things that can help me face tomorrow's battle and come out victorious on the other side. There's so many things in there that are so good that I can learn. Why would I waste my time on stuff that God said I can't know? So I mentioned the title of the message is today the day that that's not the day I'm talking about. Because the truth is, as Christians, we're not supposed to be concerned with the when. Our job is the same, no matter what. Maybe Jesus does come back today. Maybe he doesn't. Our job's the same, no matter what. Maybe he comes back before, before February ends. Maybe he doesn't. Changes nothing for me. Changes nothing for you. Our job's the same. Maybe he does come back in 2021. Maybe this is the year that the, that the Lord comes and calls home the church. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. It doesn't change anything for the church. It doesn't change anything for the bride. Our job remains the same. Our job does not hinge on what day it will be. Jesus might be coming back. Maybe he's not. We have no control over that. But what we do have control over is what are we doing while we watch, therefore? What are we doing while we're looking? What are we doing while we are expecting the day? So I ask the question. Is today the day? Well, here's the day I'm referring to when I ask the question. The Apostle Paul wrote a couple of letters to Timothy. In the second letter that he wrote to Timothy, he said in chapter 3 and verse number 1, he said, This know also. Do you understand the difference in those three words, this know also? That's 180 degrees from what you can't know. He said you can't know the day, you can't know the hour, just know that he's coming. See, you got things there's no reason to bog down trying to know because you already said you're not going to know. But here he said, this, no. These are some things that you need to know. That in the last days, perilous times shall come. So, so we don't know what the last day is going to be. But, but we do know some things that are going to happen leading up to that day. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, oh God, without natural affection, truce breakers, means they can't even keep a promise, false accusers, oh, that sounds like Facebook, <laughs> incontinent, fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. wonder how many people are in the rain on a golf course right now instead of in church. Wonder how many people sit out in the cold and the rain on a Sunday morning to watch NASCAR. Well, they don't sit in the rain and watch NASCAR because they don't run, but they'll sit out there in the rain hoping the car to run. They'll sit out in the rain, they'll sit out in the snow, they'll sit out in the blizzard and the absolute freezing for a football game. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Is today that day? That, that's, that's the question I want to know. Because it says that that's showing a sign of last days. So is today that day? In the next chapter, 
Paul wrote to Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, and he gave us a command. He gave us a clear instruction. He told us to learn some things, that those are things that we need to know. But then he said, I charge thee, therefore, before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Here's the charge. This is what he's given to every Christian. This isn't, just, this isn't just in the letter to Timothy. This isn't for Timothy's being. If it was all just for Timothy, it never would have been printed. God wouldn't have put it in his word. He wouldn't have preserved it for 2,000 years and handed it to Faith Baptist Church in 2021. This is the charge for you and I. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, resort with all, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Now, here we have those two words. It's actually the same English word. We use season for in season and out of season. But it's actually two different words in the Greek language. Y'all know I'm not good at these Greek words. So y'all go ahead and laugh. This is a good time to get from me even trying. But I want to try to give you the two words because I just want you to see the little bit of difference. The first word that is used there is yoka eros. Yoka eros. It means opportunely or it means when it's convenient. So what Paul said, what God said through Paul in a letter to Timothy to you and I, is that we are to preach the word at an opportune time. We are to preach the word when it is convenient. But then the next word is akairos. And it means to preach the word when it is an inopportune time. We are to preach the word even when it's not convenient. So, so whether they want to hear it or don't, whether it's a convenient time or not, our job is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he uses some words. He says that we're to reprove. That is to convict someone. That, that is to put the truth out and do our best to convince someone in the truth of the word of God. He says that we're to rebuke. Can I tell you, it's okay to forbid that which is wrong. It is okay to condemn that which is evil. It is okay to call that garbage going on in Washington evil. It is okay to call abortion murder. It is okay to call homosexuality sin. It is okay to call wrong, wrong, sin, sin, not to bow down, not to cower down, not to yield down, not to stop, not to quit, not to act like a little dog with my tail tucked between my legs, but to call sin, sin. And sin is against the word of God. Sin is against the will of God. And the country that sins against God will be visited by God, not in a way you want him to come. He says rebuke. Then he says that we are to exhort. That is to invite them. That is to call them in. That is to try to comfort them with the truth. The truth is God's got it all under control. It ain't as bad as it all seems. But then he says, with long-suffering, that is forbearance or patience. Anybody know what long-suffering is? That is what God is with you and I. I thank God for his long-suffering with somebody like me. I don't know how he puts up with me. I'm just thankful that he does. He says that we're to have that forbearance or, or that patience. That means that we are to continue. We are to continue preaching the word even if they won't listen. Don't, don't get angry with them. Of such for some of you. Anybody like me? Anybody ever got preached to before you got saved and walked away and went, Pfft. Anybody ever heard the gospel before you got saved and shunned it? 
I'm a miracle that God just kept giving me opportunities. I, he, he had no reason. I'd rejected him so many times in my growing up, having been grown up in church. Don't, don't get angry with them. It's not their fault. It's the world that's pulling them away. Keep inviting them to church. Just be patient with them. Keep telling them about Jesus. Just be patient with them. But above all, let them see the fruit. If we could back up last week, amen. Let them see the fruit in us so that they someday want what we got. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, patiently teach them the word of God. But, but he says with doctrine. Doctrine is simply what we have been taught. Doctrine is what we have in the book. Nothing added to Nothing taken away. This is the truth. This is the doctrine. You can't teach them anything without this book. So don't try to teach them what it doesn't say. Teach them what it does say. Don't, don't try to rebuke them with our own opinion. Rebuke them with the word of God. That's our job. He goes on. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. After their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Is today that day? I was thinking about Rome and the days of Jesus Christ and the Roman Empire and, and all that was there and all of, its, all of its power. I mean, Rome was the most powerful nation in the world. They literally dominated Everything. But, but Rome is the forerunner. It, it is the model. It is the birthplace, if you will, of our Western culture. It is the birthplace of our Western civilization that we enjoy. You know, everybody else, we think of the days of Jesus Christ. We, we think of the dirt roads and the sandals or the barefoot and everybody's dusty and dirty and the little mud huts with some grass slat roofs. That's what we think of, amen, right? Am I, am I by myself? Everybody think of that? We think of the days of Jesus. That's a little mud hut, little one hut rooms, and, and, and everybody stayed there. Maybe it had a closet, and that was that place they could get into a prayer closet. But that's, that's the day that we think of. But that wasn't Rome. Rome had roads. They had some marble-covered and granite and stone-paved roads. Rome had aqueduct systems that carried water throughout the city. Those who were well-off had aqueduct systems that carried water into their homes. They, they had magnificent buildings and structures. Matter of fact, I went in and they have taken the ruins and the things that are there and artists have gone in and they've tried to recreate what Rome would have probably looked like in the day. Ms. Frieda, I've got an aerial shot of Rome. This is what they say Rome would have probably... That doesn't look like a little mud hut and grass tops to me. What do you think? That looks pretty impressive. Look, look at all the buildings. Look, look at all the structures and the stuff. Well, they, they even have the Mercedes-Benz over here in the dome. Look, look at the big libraries. Huge, man. That thing, look, over there, they look bigger than buildings we got in Washington. It's amazing. It's the stuff that they built. And I'm amazed by how they built, like, these stadiums. Where's that close-up of that stadium? They didn't have lifts. They didn't have boom trucks and, and trucks and cherry, cherry pickers. They didn't have delivery trucks. They, they built stones out of straw and, and mud, and they made each of these things. And how in the world did they get up there? Look at the technology in that thing. 
Is that not awesome? This was back in the day of Jesus. Look, look how amazing it is. What about that inside shot of that theater? Look at that place. That, that's what the inside of one of those big theaters would have probably looked like. We're, we're talking about ancient days. You know, we, we've heard them talk about the buildings like the temples that had gold and all that stuff in it. But I've never seen a building with gold and all that stuff in it. Y'all seen a building where stuff inside was covered with gold? I've seen the Georgia Dome. Ain't that supposed to be gold on top? Some form of it anyway. Look, look at, at the power and all that they had. That, that would have been in the day with Jesus. In that day, Christianity meant persecution. To be a Christian was to be hated, was to be despised. If you've watched the movie, The Apostle Paul, how many watched that movie, The Apostle Paul, two, three years ago? Not very many. <laughs> Pretty good movie if you want to watch it. But a lot of the things that are in that movie are real. They really did persecute Christians in that day. They really did saw people in half. Romans were a brutal people. They didn't care about you. All they cared about was Roman authority and Roman law. They were a brutal people. They really did crucify people. Jesus wasn't the only one crucified. They would tie people, some of them with ropes. They wouldn't nail them and tie them up, and they would hang there for days before they got so tired that they couldn't lift themselves up to breathe and would suffocate. It wasn't hidden in the woods somewhere. It was along the sides of the road coming in and out of Rome, and they would let their bodies sometimes rot there for days so people coming in and out of Rome could see this is what happens when you break Roman law. They were a brutal people. They, they really did burn Christians at the stake. In the movie, they had stakes out over the city streets that they tied Christians to it, and they lit their bodies on fire at night to light the streets with the fire of a Christian's body. That was the torment for being a Christian. They really did beat people. They, they really did mistreat people for being a Christian. They did everything they could to get rid of Christianity. They did everything they could to get rid of the name of Christ. But today it's a pile of rubble. Give me a picture of it today. Today it's nothing more than a pile of rubble. They've lost all of their strength. They've lost all of their power. They've lost all of their glory. But Christianity reigns. Most powerful nation on earth tried to take him out. But it can't be done. Christianity is alive and well. God has always been. God will always be. God has always been. God will always be. <laughs> God has always been. God will always be. The most powerful in all the universe. Nothing can stand against him. Nothing can, can match him. Christianity is alive and well. On the day, actually in all of the days after Christ and all the days of Rome, but even on that day when they crucified Jesus, it looked like the world had won for a brief moment. It looked like the powers had overcome. It looked like they had killed the Messiah 
And, and that would stamp out all of his followers. It would just take a few years for him to diminish. I should have used the example over there in Acts, but I didn't. So I'm not going to go that far because I don't have time to put another message tied in with it. But, but it, it would have stamped out the followers. It looked like they won. Amen? It, it looked there for just a little bit like Christianity was gone. But Christ reigns eternal. The Word of God reigns eternal. My Lord and Savior, our Lord and Savior reigns eternal. There, there is no overcoming. But that does not mean that we are not in a war for the souls of men. Yes, we're on the winning side. Yes, Christ reigns victorious. Yes, God is almighty, omnipotent, omnipresent, all things, all powers at all times. But yes, there is a battle for the souls of men, and you and I are soldiers in God's army. For the church, it, it seems like there's, there's mountains on every side. Everywhere that you look, there seems to be um, turmoil, and, and some of it, in all honesty, seems to look like insurmountable odds. I mean, you, you look at what's going on, and you look at what's happening in those higher-ups of which we have no authority. Can I time out right there in the message for a minute? Uh, yeah, I'm one of the ones when they said that, that, you know, that guy up there that they said would talk before the Super Bowl came on. I didn't get to hear him boo him. I almost wish I'd have left it on to hear him boo him. I'm one of the ones that turned it off. I don't care if I ever listen to nothing he's got to say. I, I'm, I'm one of the ones. I, I don't care. In, in my book, he's my president only by an election that was won. But, but the sick, perverted garbage he's doing does not represent what I believe. I share nothing in common with him at all. But I'll tell you this. I will not cease to pray every day, God, please save that man. Please save that man. God, please put somebody in front of him. Please put a, a presentation of, of somebody that's saved. Please, God, save that man. Think of the difference it would make to see that man turn around and then call abortion what it is and put a stop to it and call homosexuality what it, what it is and put a stop to it and, and begin to side back up with Israel and to be there, begin to call sin. Think, think of what a difference it would make if that man and, and Satan's sister over there beside him could get saved. I'm sorry, y'all might have figured out by now who I voted for. But I pray for the ones that are there. And if we're ever going to see America change, it's going to be because God intervenes. And, does, and that's our job. Pray for them. The souls might be saved. There is a battle going on. You know, the nation of Israel faced some insurmountable odds. I have no doubt that when they stood there at the Red Sea, looking at the Red Sea all across in Pharaoh's army behind them, that seemed like an insurmountable odd. God made a way, didn't he? They got out in the wilderness. They had no water. They thought they were thirsting to death. They thought all the animals were thirsting to death. They're in the wilderness. No water, nowhere in sight. They thought they were going to die. But then all of a sudden there, that little rock at Horeb, where God told Moses to strike the rock and the water come gushing out. And all the millions of people and all their animals drank. It looked insurmountable. Where would you find enough water for even ten people in the wilderness? But yet millions were watered. 
And, you know, when they crossed over Jericho 40 years later, obviously, of course, but when they crossed over and they're looking at that walled city, that would have looked like an insurmountable odd. A fortified city full of soldiers, and here you are, little people that just traveled in the wilderness for 40 years. What chances do you have of overcoming that city? But God pushed the walls down. All, all I'm saying is sometimes in our Christian life, sometimes things appear to be insurmountable. Things appear to be way too big for us to even participate in but God. I'll just leave it right there, those two words for everything, but God. Are we in the day, are we in that day where men are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God? Is that the day that, that, that Jesus is talking about or, or is it going to get worse? Is today that day where they will not hear the truth, where they will not endure sound doctrine? Is this the day? I don't know. Is this that day or can it, can it get worse? Is this the day where men will heap for themselves teachers having itching ears or the day where they will turn their ears from the truth and, and listen to fables? Is this the day? I will say the signs of the time certainly seem to say so. I will say that it is a very good start to the day if it's not the day. But no matter what happens in the day, Christianity rises above it. Christ reigns Always, our enemy is the devil, and the devil is a defeated foe. We, we are to put on, according to the word of God, Ephesians, we are to put on the whole armor of God and fight in this battle. The victory is ours, but there's still a battle to be fought. We, we've still got to war. There, there are still some enemy strongholds. The devil still has some, some strongholds in, in this world. There are still some Jerichos. There are still some fortified cities that we've got to march around a few times until God pushes the walls down. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The army that stands against us is the army of Satan, and it stands fully defeated. It has no chance of victory against God. The only thing that can keep us from winning is if we don't fight. Now, granted, we've got to fight on our knees. We've got to fight through prayer. But you can't stay in the closet and pray. You've got to come out and take the battle to the world. We've got to go in the closet and get the power, get the anointing, put on the armor, and go out into the world and be a soldier in the army of God. The only difference, the only difference between the first time the children of Israel came to the Jordan River and the second time they came to the Jordan River was their faith. The only difference between two trips of the children of Israel coming to the Jordan River for the promised land that was promised by God on the other side of the Jordan, the only thing that was different was their faith in God and their willingness to fight. So we, we, may, we may look at the situation that, that we're in today, and, and we certainly seem to be in a situation. We see a lot of churches closed. California is a battlefield. Pray for California. The church has got to win California. Anybody hear me? I don't watch the news, but I read enough to know what's going on, and I watch things that pertain to us and are important. I'm telling you, we need to be praying for California. We need to be praying for the attorneys that are representing the 1,400-plus churches to turn that upside down. The abortion clinics are considered essential. They're open 24-7. The bar rooms are considered essential. They're open at their leisure whenever they choose. The churches was deemed non-essential, and for a year the church doors have been locked 
shut by the government. That is against the Constitution of the United States of America. That cannot be allowed. And if it wins in California, it'll make its way to Georgia. So don't, don't think it don't matter to us. Pray for the Holy Spirit of God to move over there. That is a battleground over there. Thousands of churches today still aren't open. Thousands and thousands of churches today are closed for good. They will never open again. They've locked their doors. They said they couldn't make it through the storm. They didn't have the finances. They didn't have whatever it took. And, and the doors are closed. The churches that are open are at best 50% full. Most of them talk 20 to 30%. 50% is kind of a top side number of where it was. It seems as though the giants that we face are too big to overcome. But then that's what the army of Israel thought. In spite of all of the great victories that God had given Israel, in spite of all of, of the superior, larger armies that God had let them overcome, y'all remember the story of David and Goliath? All of the army of Israel standing on one side of a valley. And on the other side, you got the Philistines. And every day, their, their buddy Goliath comes out, right? And he comes out and challenges if any man will come out and take me on. Just one. Send your champion out against our champion. But the armies of Israel, in spite of all that they had seen God do, stood there paralyzed by fear because it looked like a giant to them. Larry and I were talking one day, Benny Tate preached at Revival. Some of them may have got to go. He had the Revival over at First Baptist Hogansville this week. And, and Larry was saying, you know, he said something, and if I've heard it, I don't remember it. He said, Benny Tate said, um, David never called Goliath a giant. Well, sometimes you hear stuff for the first time, and sometimes you rehear things are good. And I actually had heard that before. I, I heard a message, and I don't remember... Who preached it? I don't remember if it was here. Maybe it was a Larry Brown or a Joe Arthur. I don't remember. But it was something along the lines of, it's only a giant if you see it as a giant. I just remember a message. I'd, I had heard that before. Um, so, so I got to, to thinking and looking. But the, the fact is, as he said, David never called him a giant. David called him an uncircumcised Philistine. Who is this? <laughs> uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. So it really boils down to how we see it. See, see, our enemy is nothing in the sight of God. There are no giants that can stand before God. So our enemy can only be as big as we allow it to be. Our enemy can only present itself as big as we allow it to be in our mind. When the children of Israel were preparing to cross over the Jordan River for the first time, they were going to enter into the promised land. I know you all know the stories, but that's a good reason to use these stories because you know them so they make more sense. They're preparing to cross over, and Moses sent 12 spies over to spy out the land. The spies went over. God had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. Everybody knows the story now, right? We in it. God had promised a promised land on the other side of the Jordan. He's brought them 
crossed the Red Sea. He's brought them through the wilderness. They're at the bank of the Jordan. All you have to do now is cross the Jordan River and take what God promised you. They're standing at the bank, but they send 12 spies over to spy the land. The spies go and they get the fruit of the land and they come back and they say, Man, look at this stuff. Grapes the size of soccer balls. You have to carve one of these things up to eat. Have you ever seen such a thing? They said it truly is the land of milk and honey. The story is in the book of Numbers, chapter 13. I'll read just a small portion. Verse 26, they went and came to Moses there and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They told them and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, mm-mm, Boy, that's a word we need to scratch out of our vocabulary. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children. We saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. For we're able to overcome it. The men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we. See, there's the problem. It has nothing to do with whether or not they're stronger than me. It's the fact they're not stronger than my God. He said that they're stronger than we. And they brought up evil report of the land which they had searched on the children of Israel, saying the land through which we have gone to search is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. All the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. But verse number 33 gives the whole root of the problem. Here's the whole situation right here. There we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight. There's the problem. They didn't see themselves as the children of God. They didn't see themselves walking in the power of God. They saw themselves in their own sight as grasshoppers. But then they added, and so were we in their sight. They don't know that. They made that up. They don't know what they were. They never talked to them. The sons of Anak didn't come on and say, boy, you ain't never a bug. I'll squash you. They have no idea what the sons of Anak, they have no idea what the giants, they saw themselves in their own eyes. They said, we are but grasshoppers, and if we see ourselves that way, then they surely see it the same way. They assume that the enemy must see them as just a little bug. So because they chose to fear, and they chose not to take what God had already delivered, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And all of those of accountability in that day died in the wilderness. They never crossed Jordan. They never held on to the promises of God because they lacked the faith to trust God. But if you look 40 years later, you find the same situation. They've come to the banks of the Jordan River. The promised land is still on the other side. They still ain't gone and gotten it. The sons of Anak still live there. The Canaanites, the Jebusites, they all still live there. Nothing's changed over there. The walls are still built. The cities are still fortified. All of it is still there. But here they are standing at the bank of the same river. Joshua sends spies to check out the land. And this trip over, 
we find out what the sons of Anak really did think. See, in this one, we learn what the enemy really thought about Israel because the men went to Rahab's house. And Rahab put them up top and she hid them for a little bit under some roof slats. And some men came looking for them, and she said, oh, they're gone, man. They're on the run. If you'll go that way, you'll find them. But then the Bible says in Joshua chapter 2, verse 8, that before they were laid down, she came upon them on the roof, and she said unto the men, I know, <laughs> I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. That was 40 years ago. They heard it. They were terrified then. It dried up the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. They were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, 40 years ago they heard about the parting of the Red Sea. Amen? As soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord... Your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. She doesn't say anything about we thought y'all were a bunch of grasshoppers. She didn't say anything about we thought we were too big for you. She didn't say anything about we thought our city's walls were too high and too fortified for you. She said we already knew that your God was greater. Your God reigns supreme. The devil already knows your God is supreme. Your God is superior. Nothing can stop your God. The walls are not too high for your God. The sea is not too deep for your God. The wilderness is not too dry for your God. Your enemy already knows that if you come in the power of God, he's already defeated. He can't stand against you. Our enemy is not the lost. That's the people we're trying to reach with the truth. Our enemy is the devil. Always has been, always will be. Our enemy is Satan himself. He is a defeated foe and he knows it. He's running out of time, and he knows it. He doesn't know when Jesus is coming back either, but he knows one thing, he's coming back. And he knows when he does, he's out of time. He understands the battlefield. He is pulling out every stop that he can to try and stop Christianity. About three weeks ago, Gary shared something with us down at the Rock Office. We had the prayer meeting Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock. And, and he's a friend, I think, shared this with him, and he shared a little bit of it there. But he was talking about, you know, when a team goes to play in the big game, they play their best players. I mean, when Alabama spanked Ohio State, I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I still have my drink holding and everything. When, when Alabama handed their backsides to them, they didn't start the game with their subs. Ohio State did not come to that game with their backup players. They brought their best. They put the best that they had on the field because it was the most important game of the year. The United States of America, in terms of the battle with Satan, this is the biggest game of the year. The United States of America has been a stronghold for Christianity for more than 200 years. This is a big game for the devil. So what he said that his friend shared was it's kind of like the devil is bringing his biggest demons to the U.S. 
kind of like the devil is bringing his, his biggest soldiers, the baddest, the most that he's got, and he's trying to flood this field, try, trying to do all that he can in this game. I mean, we can clearly look and see that Christianity is under attack in America. Anybody disagree with that? But the devil has no power against our God. The armies of the devil cannot stand against us if we come in the name of Jesus Christ. If we pray first and go forward in the name of Christ, the only thing that can keep us from winning is if we don't fight. Amen. Is today the day that Jesus is coming to get us? I have no idea. Is today the day that the battle rages for the souls of men? Absolutely. Jesus said, Luke 18, 8, that when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on earth? That's a question. Shall he find? It doesn't say if he comes. It says when he comes. When the Son of Man. That tells me he's coming. We already know that. Shall he find faith on the earth? 1 Corinthians 4.1, let a man so account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, listen to this, it is required in stewards. Everybody in here know that you're a steward? You washed in the blood, child of God? You know that you're a steward. Okay. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. 1 Peter 5.6, humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God. That he may exalt you in due time. Casting all you care upon him. For he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Is today the day? Well, honestly, that's an important question for, for both instances. Is the day that we look at where men are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God? Uh, is today the day where men will not endure sound doctrine? Well, those things are obviously important since the Word of God refers to that as being among the last days. So that's certainly important. But, but is today the day when Jesus comes to get the church? Well, that's an important question too. If Jesus came today, are you ready? Now, before band, you guys can go ahead and start getting ready. I'll be done in just a minute. Let, let's, let's look at the two parts of that question. If Jesus comes today, are you ready? Well, certainly, number one, that means are you washed in the blood? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know that you know if Jesus comes today, you're counted in the number? I'm leaving here with him. We're going to leave all this stuff behind. Gone. Forever we'll be with the Lord. So certainly the first and most important question is, have you trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know that you're saved? That, that's an all-important question. If Jesus came today, are you ready? But, but that, that's a question for Christians. That's not quite as clear-cut as it seems. It's not, am I ready 
for him to come, meaning am I saved and ready for him to get me, but am I prepared to meet him? Did I serve him faithfully in everything that I did yesterday, or did I leave some things undone? Have I served him faithfully in the past week, or have I left some things undone? I mean, have I served him faithfully in every area of my life? If he came right now, boom, I'm looking on his face. Would I be looking with regrets of the things that I didn't do? Or have I done what God has given me to do in the past few days? Because if I haven't, I'm not ready to meet him. Not only that, but if I'm looking at him right now and he just came, what about the one? It's in my family that I know I've been supposed to tell about Christ. And I kept putting it off. You know, I was scared of what they'd say. Me and my family, right? I mean, I've been around them my whole life. I mean, they watched me grow up. They know what I used to be, right? Well, what about my friends, the ones that I work with? The ones that I know they have no fruit. Have, have I done everything that God told me to do? Because when Jesus comes, it's going to be a glorious day, but there's going to be some accountability that has to be given on that day. You and I have a job to do. Don't, don't let the sun go down, not just today. Don't let the sun go down every day, having not fulfilled what God gave you to do on that day. Don't let the sun go down at night having not done what God gave you to do during the day because he just might come during the night. He just might come early tomorrow morning. You can't put off till tomorrow what God gave you to do today. You don't know that tomorrow's coming. Maybe Jesus doesn't come. Maybe it's a heart attack in the middle of the night. It doesn't matter what it is if it takes you out. We can't put off serving God till tomorrow because we don't, we don't know that we have that. Not only that, the opportunity that God gave me today may not be there tomorrow. I may not drive by that person tomorrow. I may not see that person in the store tomorrow. I may not see that one walking down the street tomorrow. That opportunity was today. So when I ask, are we ready to meet him? It's a lot weightier question than just am I saved and ready to go because I can jump off this platform screaming, yep. I can't wait. But then I start thinking about the things that I've left undone. and go, uh-oh. I'm going to lose some rewards over that one. There's going to be some reckoning over that one. The only way to be sure that I am ready to meet him if he comes back right now is to serve him faithfully every minute of every day. Bust tall order, isn't it? The only way that I can know that I am ready to meet Jesus is to be faithful at all times. Do the will of God for my life at all times. Fulfill whatever God would have me to do, whatever the Holy Spirit leads me, guides me to do at all times so that I am bearing fruit at all times. When Jesus comes, will we be found faithful? Can I get you to bow your heads just for a minute? I want to ask you right now, do you know that you know, that you know that you know, that your name is written in glory? That's the most important question that you face. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you know that you'd go to heaven? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you know that you are a child of God? You've got to know the answer to that one. If you don't know that the answer is yes, then it's because the answer is not yes. You can't be a child of God and not know it. You can't be washed in the blood and not know it. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and not know it because everything literally changes. Do you know that you've been saved? If not, that's your first order of business. No matter where you are, you don't have to be in this church. It don't have to be a Sunday whenever you watch it on live stream, YouTube. It doesn't matter where you are. If you're hearing it now, behold, now's the time. Today is the acceptable day. Now's the time that you can trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Now's the time you can say, Father, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me in the precious holy name of Jesus. Wash away all my sins. I want to be saved. I want you to write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Make me a child of the King. I confess my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Save my soul in Jesus' name. You, you can say a prayer. It's not a poem. It's not something you get to repeat. It's surrendering our heart to God. You surrender your heart to God and say, Lord, I've run long enough. It's time for me to be saved. And you trust Jesus Christ and him alone as your personal Lord and Savior, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all about Jesus Christ. And ask him to save your soul. You can be just as much a child of God as anybody in this place this morning. But it's all about Jesus. Y'all can, can open your eyes. You can pray. You can come to the altar. You can worship. You, you can lift his name. You can do whatever you need to do right here. We're just going to take a minute. They're going to sing a song, and we're going to worship him. Amen. Is he worthy to you? Amen. Let's worship him a little bit. Go ahead, guys.